the place for talk on the internet. This is TalkZone.com. TalkZone.com. Now, InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. It's a hot-button issue. Immigration. But how are today's new immigrants blending into the American melting pot? Here's InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy? Thank you, Chris. Our guest is Dr. Jacob L. Vigdor. He's Associate Professor of Public Policy Studies and Economics at Duke University and a faculty research fellow at the National Bureau of Economic Research. He's completed a pretty exhaustive study for the think tank, the Manhattan Institute, a report titled Measuring Immigrant Assimilation in the United States. Dr. Vigdor, welcome to InfoTrack. Thanks. Great to be here. So tell us a little bit about your study and why you did it. Well, I think that we were motivated to compare today to the past because there's a lot of different stories people tell about the past. You know, people say, you know, the immigrants of a hundred years ago, they came here and they did just fine, and today's immigrants aren't. And then there are some others who will say, well, you gotta look more closely, and, and back then there were a lot of angry comments about the Italian immigrants who weren't fitting in and all that sort of stuff. But we just wanted to see, you know, we have access to census data that goes back all the way to 1900, and that permits us to do a direct comparison and see how the progress of immigrants today compares with the immigrants of a hundred years ago. And in general, the progress of immigrants these days is pretty good compared to those earlier ways of immigrants, but there's an important exception, and that is Mexican immigrants. Tell us about that. The Mexican immigrants, in general, are assimilating more slowly than, say, the Italian immigrants of a hundred years ago. And what are the reasons for that? I think most people would guess it's the language barrier. What's interesting is that language is not the thing that really sticks out. And that's something that we see these days as well. So one comparison that we make in the report is between Mexican immigrants these days and Vietnamese immigrants these days. Now, if you look at those two groups of immigrants to the United States, they both look similar when they show up. A lot of these Vietnamese immigrants came to the United States after the conclusion of the war. They had their problems when they first arrived. But it's really remarkable to look at what happened to them as they spent more time in the United States. They became naturalized citizens at a very rapid rate. Economically, they made a lot of progress. They landed in the wrong place. They found the right place without too much trouble. That's a pretty strong contrast with the experience of Mexican immigrants. Mexican immigrants don't become naturalized citizens at very high rates, and economically they don't make as much progress over time. But what's kind of interesting about it is that we sort of think about assimilation running along three lines, and one is economic, which just means do you make your way in the labor market, do you Mm -hmm. buy a house? There's civic assimilation, which tracks citizenship and military service and those sorts of indicators that you're committed to the United States. And then there's cultural assimilation, which most of us immediately gravitate to, things like language, because it's hard to look at an immigrant and figure out how much money they're making. It's hard to know whether they're a citizen just by looking at them. But if you listen to them talk, then it's pretty easy to to figure out if they are fluent in English or whether they're more comfortable in their native language. One of the more obvious differences in your comparison is that the Vietnamese who came to America had no way to return to their homeland. They're here to stay. But many Americans have the perception that those who come here from Mexico are here to earn money for a while, and then they hope to return to Mexico. That's a big, important distinction between two types of immigrants these days. There are political immigrants who come to the United States because they are fleeing their home country. They are not welcome there. If they return home, they'll be persecuted. In many cases, they face death if they return. When they get here, 
They don't have any plans of going back. They have every incentive in the world to make their way to try to fit in, to raise their kids as Americans, because they know that what they used to call home can't really be their home anymore. Mm-hmm. Then you do have economic immigrants, and those are people who aren't coming here because they're fleeing their home country. They're coming here because they want to take advantage of economic opportunities here. And what's kind of interesting is that the economic immigrants, of course it includes many of the immigrants who come from Mexico or Central America, but it also includes a lot of immigrants from developed countries as well. A lot of Canadian immigrants who cross the other border into the United States, they are coming here for economic opportunities. Canadian immigrants don't really become naturalized citizens at very high rates. They are also here primarily for economic reasons. Very interesting. Our guest on InfoTrack is Dr. Jacob Vigdor, Associate Professor of Public Policy Studies and Economics at Duke University. He recently completed a study titled Measuring Immigrant Assimilation in the United States. Dr. Vigdor, let's look at some other findings in your study. Are these Mexican immigrants assimilating from an economic standpoint? Economically, they're not making very much progress. Economically, Mexicans are one of the least assimilated immigrant groups because their jobs are low-paying, because they don't have very many opportunities for advancement. And, of course, if you're an illegal immigrant, a lot of avenues for economic advancement are closed to you. You're trying not to call attention to yourself. You're working. You don't really have expectations of becoming a citizen because, of course, if you're illegal, you can't become a citizen. There's no pathway for that. So, yeah, you are in the shadows of the labor market. You're working sometimes below the table, sometimes above the table, but with a false Social Security number or just with a taxpayer identification number. But when you're in that situation, you can't climb the ladder to the same extent that a legal immigrant can or to the same extent that a native resident in the United States can. And how about cultural assimilation? Culturally, they show signs of struggling, but they are not unique that way. Immigrants from many countries, when they come here as adults, English is a hard language to learn, as it turns out. Adults who come here have trouble no matter where they come from. It turns out that the kids actually have a much easier time learning languages. Children of immigrants do a much better job of learning English. Here's an interesting statement from your report. Immigrants from developed countries are not necessarily more assimilated. Immigrants born in Korea, which the World Bank classifies as a high-income country, have a collective assimilation index value lower than that of immigrants from Cuba or the Philippines, which are classified as low-income countries. Why? I think it goes to some of the things that we mentioned before. The immigrants from developed countries are more likely to be in the economic class of immigrants. So they are here for the economic opportunities. They're not really interested in pursuing citizenship to the same extent. And they still may have some important cultural differences with the United States. For many from Asian countries, it's hard to learn English if your first language is not another sort of European language. And then a lot of these immigrants from the less developed countries, a place like Cuba, well, a lot of those immigrants are here for political reasons. And so they have the stronger incentive to integrate themselves into American society and become Americans. Dr. Victor, when you look back at earlier immigration trends in the U.S. compared to today, how do government policies affect those trends? Well, it's very clear that policy has a big impact on what happens in terms of immigration. Now, one of the things that influenced the progress of immigrants in the first part of the 20th century is that starting around, right around World War I, immigration really dried up. And so it's often argued that it's the continual inflow of new immigrants that sort of pulls down the average for a group. For the Italian immigrants who arrived in, say, 1912 or 1913, they were actually amongst the last ones to arrive. And so there were no more after them, and so their communities sort of naturally dried up. 
and they sort of faced some additional pressure to integrate themselves into the mainstream. Now, these days, you could imagine that if we passed some immigration reform that involved greater restrictions on immigration of the kind that we had back in the 1920s, that you might expect a similar phenomenon to happen. A lot of these distinct immigrant communities would start to dissipate because their numbers would not be replenished as quickly. Very interesting information. Dr. Jacob Vigdor, Associate Professor of Public Policy Studies and Economics at Duke University and the author of a report titled Measuring Immigrant Assimilation in the United States. Dr. Vigdor, thanks for joining us on InfoTrack. Well, thanks for having me. It's been fun. And you can read more information about his report at manhattan-institute.org. For InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know.